Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Anne Herrera, Bloomberg Senior Crypto Editor, in today for Stacey Marie Ishmael. It's Tuesday, October 18th. Bankruptcies can be chaotic times for companies and for their creditors. Investors, vendors, and former customers often end up jostling in court to get their share of what they lost from what remains of the firm. In the crypto space, bankruptcies can bring even more questions. Some restructuring lawyers say that the U.S. Bankruptcy Code still does not adequately address how to handle crypto assets. But just like other bankruptcy cases, there will be winners and losers. To explain what happens to crypto assets during these times, I'm joined by Bloomberg reporter Justina Lee. Crypto, as we all know, is a lot more volatile than most assets that the law typically applies to. And Thomas Brazil, the founder of 507 Capital. There will be definitely more dominoes to fall in the crypto space and filings. The question is like how these firms will deal with it. The firm buys bankruptcy claims and other types of distressed assets from people who would rather receive funds earlier, even at a discount. Justina and Thomas, thank you for joining me today. Why did you reach out to Thomas at first for your story? What's what's going on in crypto? Um, there seem to have been a lot of bankruptcies as of late. Yeah, exactly. And uh, a crypto fund manager introduced me to Thomas saying that there would be a cool story. And he was right. I mean, bankruptcy law sounds dry, but with this first wave of crypto bankruptcies hitting U.S. courts, it was really interesting to see, you know, judges and lawyers trying to draw parallels between the existing laws and this weird new thing called crypto. And I thought that Thomas was a really good character to tell that story because he wasn't your typical hedge fund manager in the sense that he doesn't really have a PR filter, which is always helpful for journalists. And he seems to only like look into the most niche um, cases in distressed investing. You know, my parents were bankruptcy lawyers, so I knew a lot about bankruptcy law. I never really worked at a big distress firm, but I, I knew enough to, to sort of be dangerous and was always hunting around like just insolvencies and bankruptcies. Crypto is probably the most interesting because there's so much unsettled law. I guess I've sort of gotten fully sucked into the crypto rabbit hole, but there's still a lot to come. I mean, with the bankruptcies we've seen in sort of the CFI institutions, so you have like Celsius and Voyager, and then you see Compute North recently filing. There's likely to be a whole wave of, m of miners that file, and the same probably with other areas uh, in the, whatever you want to call it, the, I don't know, picks and shovels, whatever, like crypto ATM companies, you name it. There's likely to be more insolvencies. Even if they're not in court, they'll be out of court. 
can we take a step back? Can you tell us, just run us through how you started with Mt. Gox and what, what you actually did there? Because many of our listeners might sure. not really know what you what you actually okay, do. Sure. <laughs> they might know distressed investor. Oh, what's that? Yeah, what is that? The cryptocurrency community is watching the drama unravel with Mt. Gox as the once dominant Bitcoin exchange files for bankruptcy in Japan. Mt. Gox is now being sued in the United States by one of its customers. I had run across Mt. Gox, literally read an article in the FT about the insolvency. And it said in there that, you know, some hedge funds are, you know, punting on the uh, on these claims. And I was like, I know a lot of the guys that do this stuff. It's not rocket science. And how cool would that be? Japanese cryptocurrency bankruptcy claim. I mean, that's like the the highest inversion of, of buying a bankruptcy claim. So that I got sucked into, I guess, sort of the, the academic view of like, hey, this would be interesting or fun to do. And then as I did that, I just started accumulating more claims, you know, for my clients. And from there, I just got sucked into the crypto rabbit hole. And then the legal questions started coming up, you know, like, how is this going to be interpreted in Mt. Gox? So we just basically bought claims. We bought customer account claims. So you had to go actually find people who were either you have like to go customers find or crypto. Yeah. And also, so sourcing is just like if you were doing a journalist. How do you find a good story? How do you find a good lead? How do you find someone that knows about whatever you're working on? It's an art, you know? It's like, oh, you find this guy who told you about this person that told you about that person. And this is like whatever the Tinsig Norgay that's going to take you to the mountaintop of your story or whatever. So originally, I just started reaching out, trying to find people that were into crypto and Mike likely had a claim. So there was a leaked list of creditors and... It just had names, didn't have anything really. It had amounts and, and, and names. And so, you know, literally Googling around, like, this guy's name is decently obscure and he's into crypto or he's a computer science person. So, yeah, the early Mt. Gox, you had sort of two profiles. If you're going to profile, there would be kind of like crypto anarchists, like people that were very into uh, like alternative cultures, sometimes maybe illicit activity. And then you had the other camp, which is like people that were just like computer nerds. The Mt. Gox thing is coming to a close, right? So what are your expectations? Hopefully. And we had some a crazy eye-catching um, percentage of returns in the in the headline of the story, I think. So yeah. what is your estimation of when it when are you expecting it to sort of aim and to get paid back for the claims? And then maybe Justina can give us the the number of the returns. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay. So so yeah, early investors, you know, or early investor that did the sort of put the trade on with us mm-hmm. did extremely well. And um, I would say Mt. Gox, there's going to be like two or three waves of distributions. One is like an early payout option and mm-hmm. the second is a, a, a final payout option. So if you did an early payout option, you're capped a little bit on the return you'll get. You're giving up like a few percentage points uh, to get your money early. That'll be probably early 2023. And then the, the final payments could be at the end of 2023 or maybe into 2024. And the other thing to think about the distributions are some of the distributions are going to go to, I don't want to call them captive sellers, but like Bitcornica, which is a big estate going on in New Zealand, they had all their coins on Mt. Gox. And there are, there are a number of people like that that are uh, big whales that likely won't sell. So I don't know the distribution is going to be totally, I keep hearing this idea that, oh, people always call me and say, oh, when is it happening? Give me the breakdown of like how it's going to affect the price of Bitcoin. And I'm always like, I really don't think it'll have as much effect as people think. Because so much of the coins, anybody that wanted to sell sold over the years, not just ourselves, but but Fortress. So the two big buyers of claims are ourselves mm-hmm. and Fortress over the years. Mm-hmm. So. 
Thomas probably doesn't uh, want to give the percentage himself, but like at least I think in terms of the first sort of slate of claims that he bought, I mean, he is kind of slated to make like 1,700% on those. And I guess that's because in the nature of distressed investing, you're buying those claims at a discount to begin with. And it so happens after the the winding path that that case has taken that at the end of the day, um, the users will end up getting some upside from all that Bitcoin appreciation over the years. Some of the issues or questions that people had with Mt. Gox, one of the biggest ones is, will people get their money back mm-hmm. um, or will they get their crypto back, right? So Justina, can you sort of walk us through and how that, I guess, applies now too with Celsius and Voyager and some of the newer... Yeah. So in most cases, um, the value of the user's claim is fixed in dollar terms at the moment of their petition. But it's kind of controversial to just directly apply this to crypto because crypto, as we all know, is a lot more volatile than most assets that the law typically applies to. And one interesting thing is, at least when I was speaking to some of the Celsius users, Um, It might seem surprising, but many of them are still crypto believers. And in their ideal world, they actually want their coins back. And so this is really a huge unknown in these cases. Um, And one lawyer has told me that if the users are able to make the claim that crypto is in fact more like securities or commodities, there is a chance that they could actually get their claims kind of valued at the time of um, liquidation. But of course, as we all know, that's sort of the big unknown, even beyond bankruptcy law when it comes to crypto. We'll be right back with more from Bloomberg reporter Justina Lee and bankruptcy investor Thomas Brazil. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. What's different between working on a crypto bankruptcy and another one? Oh my like, goodness. Uh, gosh. Is it more start? fun or no? <laughs> it's more interesting. It's more interesting. Let's put it interesting. Because it, it is, again, a ton of unsettled case law. How crypto is treated. We talked about petition date value versus uplift. Who gets the uplifted value? You know, what's an unregistered security? Are these securities? Which one are securities? Which one are not? You know, all kind of things, like even areas of traditional bankruptcy law, which is called their avoidance actions. One section is preferences, another is fraudulent conveyances or transfers. I'll do the quick idea of a preference is if you got a payment within 90 days of pre-petition, but just before the bankruptcy petition, uh, they can basically claw that back. And the idea is like you got 100 cents on the dollar and in the bankruptcy, it's only 50 cents on the dollar recovery. So it's not fair to everybody. So we claw that back. We give you a claim and you get the 50 cents that everybody else got. And that increases creditor recoveries. In a traditional bankruptcy, it's, it's it's not boring, but it's quite straightforward the way you'd handle it. But in crypto, even think of the idea like, well, when the transfer happened, you know, I'm, I'm making it up, but Ethereum was at $1,700. Now it's at 1000 So my preference is much higher dollar amount than what 
I even have today to pay back? So mm -hmm. it's a very interesting question. Like, is that equitable? Like, that's kind of what the code says. It says at the time of the transfer. So you should be going after like the hundred, you know, Ethereum times the price at the time of the transfer. So these are all interesting bankruptcy questions that need to be wrestled with. And I'm hopeful that the U.S. Bankruptcy Code can also push a lot of case law in at least in the federal court system. I mean, the opinions, they're not going to be used for everything, but federal bankruptcy judges are extremely, usually the top of their fields or lawyers in their, in their regions. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they wrestle with some of these. So something as simple as a preference in crypto has never been dealt with. How do you actually you know, deal with the amounts and how do you deal with offsets? Because you do normally get offsets on those. So if you have money you're still owed versus money you took off, they can offset that claim. Well, in this instance, you could potentially do offsets, but it's indebtedness, but it's it's your customer. It's an account claim. And also, like in terms of crypto, like these CFI institutions are a great example. These are kind of like unregulated banks, which would usually be like a, a SIPA, which is SIPA yeah. liquidation. It would be, yeah, and they'd have insurance and things. And so these are very interesting questions we haven't really grappled with. And so they're they're super interesting from a legal standpoint. If you're like sort of like a legal nerd, you're like, wow, this is like, you know, super interesting. And um, have so you we'll have you come across NFTs yet in, in liquidations or bankruptcies? Mm. I think, you know, now one big fund is, is being oh, really? liquidated. Well, yeah, right. well, the 3AC, right? Oh, yeah. So okay. like, sure, they, sure, they sure, own yeah. NFTs. I think that they some there was some news recently about some of the NFTs they own. I wonder, like, if the issues will be the same, like how to value those. That will be interesting. <laughs> I mean, honestly, this is there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been grappled with. There's always interesting stuff going on in, in the bankruptcy and, and distress. Uh, this is no different. This is just on steroids. Like yeah. every single traditional bankruptcy thing you think, you think, oh, well, actually there's a new wrinkle and I don't know in three ACs. I mean, I just got a call the other day about a, a very large three AC claim. So I'll probably be learning more about it soon. Yeah. But it's, it's funny to watch the dominoes drop. There's so much liquidity that came out of the system so fast. I don't know what that means for like the price of anything, but it is kind of interesting to think about. There will be definitely more dominoes to fall in the crypto space and filings. Question is like how these firms will deal with it. I think in a lot of spaces there will be even some prepacks and things like that are prepack bankruptcies because they have a lot of secured lenders in there. They're basically underwater on their loans and they're not, you know, they don't want to tell the street they're underwater and, you know, there'll be some out of court, but there'll definitely have to be some more filings. And in a weird way, every filing, there's an automatic stay and it sort of like pulls supply offline. I mean, mm -hmm. think about it like Celsius and Voyager, when they file, they get an automatic stay. So instead of the crypto basically like, you know, flooding out into the market and lots of sales, it actually locks up the crypto for the mm -hmm. time of the case. I mean, not entirely. They can petition the court to sell certain cryptos. But it's kind of interesting. So there's an impact on price too. Yeah, that's what I mean. The impact on price could be interesting. Thank you, Justina and Thomas, for joining me today. You can find more of Justina Lee's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal on Bloomberg.com and on Twitter at J-U-S-T-I-N-A-K-N-O-P-E. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, there's an old joke about billionaires and politics. But this isn't that kind of podcast. This is a podcast about crypto, though. So we're going to be talking about all of the ways that crypto billions are pouring into U.S. elections. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. Or find us on Twitter. We're at Crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. 
Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producer is Mohammed Farouk. Associate producer is Moses Andam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.